technology. It's a blessing, but it's also a curse. When I've been on vacations, sometimes there's no internet or cellular connection, and that can be a blessing because there's no interruptions to my personal recharging. But then there's the inevitable, I have to find a signal moment because there's a voicemail that comes through and there's some kind of an emergency. Straddling this dichotomy has become a 21st century problem. So the truth is, as musicians, we are fortunate that we can fall back on music and our training for a refuge. We have a built-in escape from technology and the seemingly endless demands it has on our everyday lives. Welcome back to Accelerando. I'm Paula Tuttle, and today we're talking about the balance we continue to strive for as working musicians. Lately, I've been thinking of these summers I spent in France at a stage or a music retreat and it was designed to eliminate all outside distractions so the participants could do deep work consistently for three weeks. If you're a professional musician, this is a dream come true. One of my professors at Eastman found a way to do the same thing each summer. James Vandemark was a bass professor when I was at Eastman, and he would go to Tanglewood each summer and get a cabin and practice every day, and then attend the concerts every night. He said it recharged and refreshed him for the rest of the year. Another place I found having this kind of routine was the Blossom Music Festival in Kent, Ohio. When I first arrived, my heart sank because these summer festivals are usually somewhere beautiful. It had been a dry summer and the grass was scorched. The dorms were bland. What had I done? It was a great summer. So much so, I went again the next year. So you see, Blossom was six weeks, and every two weeks you got new pieces. And we always studied these chamber music pieces with members of the Cleveland Orchestra. And everyone performed everything, always entire works. And I also got to play for Emmanuel Axe in a master class. He chose my group because he'd never heard the Ned Roram trio for flute, cello, and piano. Another perk to the festival... We went to the Blossom Music Center three times a week to hear the Cleveland Orchestra perform. Not all festivals are restorative. The most famous ones can be work camps. Spoleto Festival was one of these. I played in orchestra so much my actual technique suffered. And yes, it was beautiful and in an exotic location, Spoleto, Italy. But to be invited to Italy, you had to also play in Charleston, South Carolina for four weeks. So I'm not saying Charleston is a dive either. It was actually quaint and historic. But I hurt my feet walking to rehearsals, and my cello case was too heavy and it hurt my arms. And the playing schedule was brutal. So don't get me wrong, I had some great professional experiences there. I got to play principal, and I got to play the solos, and also Sprock Zarthustra and La Valse, something I'll never forget. 
but I ended up buying a soft cello case before we flew to Italy so I could survive the foot travel to the rehearsals and the concerts there. So what James Vandemark did was to create the best of all worlds. He was able to pay for housing in Tanglewood, hang with musicians, and find that perfect balance of work and play. It's become a topic for books and seminars. How to organize your life amid the interruptions, including phones, computers, and internet. It's harder for people outside music, at least I think so, because we, classically trained musicians, have been indoctrinated to study, practice, and plan long-term goals for our entire time of study. We go into a practice room and hopefully we can ignore our phones and email for a few hours a day. Getting back to the stage in France, we're talking the early 2000s, or the three years before the turn of the millennium, when cell phones and signals were not everywhere. Not in France if you had an American phone. No, the only way anyone got any word from the outside world was if a person called during mealtimes, and only if the kitchen people answered the phone. I think in all the three summers I was at the stage, I received exactly one phone call. And it wasn't every meal we had the chef come into the dining room announcing a phone call for a musician. It happened a dozen times over the collective nine weeks and three summers. The stage was the perfect refuge. You didn't have to cook your meals. Like a lot of these festivals, it was the usual thing. But hey, the food in France was much better than any of the other places. I did find a way around the cafeteria food in Blossom. They give us these meal punch cards and there was a French cooking school associated with the campus. I figured out if I skipped breakfast, I could go to lunch every day in the French dining room. And I also did the early bird dinner in the French dining room. Somehow I made it work. Everybody was amazed. And once each summer, I went to the full seven course French meal and it was ridiculous. There is something about having all your meals served that makes your life easier especially if the food is satisfying. Plus, no doing the dishes, no shopping, no planning. In France, the only personal housework I had to do was my laundry. Once a week, I'd load up my suitcase, which was really small, because when I flew, I was laden with the cello too. Fortunately, a few t-shirts were also able to be stowed in the cello case. In 2002, the French government was serious about inspecting bags. The cello case was opened, and I was glad I didn't stow dirty laundry. You get my meaning. So I had little to wear, little to clean. I'd go into town to do my laundry. And if you're like me, even doing laundry once a week becomes a refuge from the refuge. The same thing happens at home. I decide to clean my house because I'm procrastinating my practice. And I often practice when I really need to clean the house. There's something to the mindset of wanting to be productive, but I can't really bear X. So at least I'll do Y. I notice this because X and Y start to switch places. As young instrumentalists, we probably learned this, at least I did. I was supposed to share housework with my siblings. And somehow piano practice happened when the dishes were supposed to be done. My parents let me get away with it. Maybe they were smart parents. To this day, I swap out chores and practice because my heart isn't into one or the other. The idea of mixing up your activities is also part of finding balance. At the stage, I started practicing at 8.30 every day, and I might have had a rehearsal or a coaching in the morning. 
So I was playing my instrument in a way that was both productive and doing something I loved for three or four hours a day. And that was just the morning. At 12.30, we had lunch, or petit déjeuner. But it wasn't petit. It was a full meal, and wine was offered, which I always declined. At 1.30, we rested. The shops were closed, and the whole community took a rest. We started again at 3.30, sometimes playing another two or three hours before dinner. By my third summer at the stage, I had learned about French wine and other delicacies like cheese and olives. Actually, in my first summer, my roommate Irena, a Russian pianist who immigrated to Canada, she showed me where to buy wine and cheese in the grocery stores. And most of the quiet times, we wandered into the fields of Provence and sipped wine under olive trees. This was the middle of the afternoon. This was Irena's second summer, and she was fully prepared to show me the ropes in this regard. She had a Swiss Army knife that had everything we needed, a corkscrew for opening a wine, a knife for sharing a piece of cheese, and a toothpick for the olives. And one of us repurposed the little tweezers, so we each had something to spear the olives. So by my third summer, Irena wasn't attending but I started a wine project where I searched or researched for the best and cheapest bottle of red wine. My room became the happy hour location at 5.30 every day, and it became really popular. We lined up the empty wine bottles that made the cut on a shelf. By the end of the three weeks, we had selected a local wine made in nearby Entrechaux. Some wine cellar had a very good year, and a bottle could be bought for $2.45. After happy hour, we all went to dinner, and again wine was served, but I wouldn't partake. I usually practiced an hour or two after dinner and retired super early. Lots of the musicians would go into town to the ice cream store or a bar. They were actually the same thing in France. Ice cream, beer, coffee, all the same business. Since I'm an early riser, I woke up every day at first light, which was 6 a.m. in southern France in August. I had rented a bicycle from the center every year. So at 6 a.m., I rode over to Entrechaux for my morning cappuccino. It was a good 20-minute ride. I had to ride on the road with cars, but I would see some real cyclists, too, because there was a mountain nearby that was on the Tour de France. The cyclists had to climb it every year, so they were always practicing on it. So it was called Mount Montu, and we went up it on a bus one year. My gosh, there were cyclists going up the mountain, and they had legs the size of tree trunks. I usually rode alone, but, you know, people were welcome to join me. And one summer, my roommate, May, a violinist from Canada, she asked if she could join me. That summer, I had both Canadian roommates, Irena and May. So I was happy to have a like-minded friend to join me to go to Entrechaux each morning. Other people would ask, where's their entrechaux? One castle over, I'd say. Every little town had their own ruins. Entrechaux had the remains of a tower, and it looked like a rook on a chessboard. Vaison-le-Romain, the little town that's closest to the stage, they had some really significant Roman ruins and an entire medieval city. The most exclusive shops were there in the medieval city, on the Vieux Marché, the old market. So May and I were riding our bikes to Entrechaux and we would pass fields of lavender. Most had already been cut, but there were lovely farms and beautifully manicured olive gardens along our routes. We would buy cookies or croissants at the bakery or sometimes we brought them from the Tuesday Marché. 
And there's one day that May couldn't come. I can't remember why. And I went and woke up my friend Nick, who was also a cellist. I must have suggested it the day before because he came along willingly. But while drinking coffee, he said, You know, I'm not like you, Paula. I'm not really a morning person. So Nick wasn't having a great time. But then right there, he looked up and he saw a poster. And Nick's French was much better than mine. He pointed to the poster, and it was bright pink. And it was advertising the Fête du Taureau, the Festival of the Bulls. And it was the very next day. There was to be running in the streets with the bulls. So we had to play hooky on Saturday to come to the festival. What an event it was. This little town in Provence had a band and horses that brought the bulls down the street, and one bull escaped, and what a terrifying moment that was. Later in the day, there was food and long games like bocce. It was a great refuge from the refuge again. We went back and played our instruments into the night. I think we as musicians have a special set of problems. We have more disciplines already in place when it comes to organizing and practicing. We get these opportunities to travel and study and work in beautiful places. If you have a chance to mix work with travel, you might have a bit of this. So France and Blossom, they were the exceptions. Later in my career, I found it made sense to work at home all summer and then take a two-week vacation. Festivals for pros is usually just low-paying work in a pretty location. Okay, this episode started out talking about technology and disruptions, and it ended up describing a scenario where you can make great progress because of the absence of distractions. But our life wouldn't be productive without some diversions. We can control them to some degree by turning off the phone, scheduling a vacation, or outsourcing mundane chores. It's the same in every walk of life. Musician, stockbroker, or someone striving to solve world hunger. Maybe you're building your business or organization and you want to make real change in the world. You might be looking to upgrade your methods and habits. There's a lot in between those. In all these instances, it comes down to one thing. You have to choose. Choose to stay focused or answer the phone. Choose to practice or check email. Choose to read a book or play Ruzzle. The brain can only take so much temptation. If you don't see the candy every time you walk in the kitchen, your temptation muscle isn't being worn out. If there is no phone signal, you eventually stop waiting for it to ring. When you're away from your computer on vacation, you eventually stop wondering if there's a job in the email. There's just so much we can get from computers and the tools it affords to create efficiency. When they become a hindrance, we finally turn back to methods that are tried and true, things we already learned. And what's so funny is we learn many of the best methods from private music lessons. Sometimes a student comes into my studio who never had traditional music lessons. Maybe a school music program was all they had for eight years. The teachers are focused on teaching the students to play the orchestra music and little else, sometimes nothing else. This week I had such a student at a university, and they were really pretty good at learning pieces by listening, reading, and finally learning to play. When I asked them to name the notes, they resisted. So to us, this is something basic. 
If you read a lot of books on becoming effective and efficient, they might say a rule such and such as put first things first or doing the thing no one wants to do is the thing you should do. This student just simply didn't want to name the notes. They wanted to use a very complicated program on a computer that would help them transcribe the music, but they didn't want to do something as simple as naming the notes. Something was holding them back because now they are old enough to choose. And at my urging, they are still unconvinced. They'll do almost anything to avoid this task. Does any of this sound familiar? You can pat yourself on the back for all the hard-won rewards your music has brought you and thank a music teacher while you're at it. The stage in France is coming back under new management. Katie Kresik is taking up the baton. She's restarting the stage in the same manner and in the name of her teacher, Barbara Krakauer. It's a thing that I think stays with you, the nobility of retreat. I think oftentimes, like certainly American culture is grind culture. There's definitely a sense that, you know, you got to work really hard all the time. And I think that it's sort of a false narrative in a way to say that you can't work hard and also remove yourself from an environment that might not be conducive to the focus you need. You know, it's it doesn't have to be either or. It can really be a sense that you can be elsewhere and find that way to create the circumstances that serve you so that you can do what you need to do. This project excites me on so many levels, and more than anything else, it represents an idea or an activity that promotes personal growth. be a life changer. It was for me. It was for Katie. And it was also for Colin Dixon and Barbara Pogursky who are partnering with Katie. It's a wonderful place to study and play music. And there are lots of fantastic places near the stage to indulge your taste buds, your eyes, and all your senses. You can write to me at chalorondocast at gmail if you want more information. That's it for this week. Please do share this episode. I'll put a couple things in the show notes as I do every week. Please support live music and the musicians that make it their lives. Many of them are teachers too and their impact on the younger generation is immeasurable. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.